says hide and seek. Are we really gonna play that? members and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Nightlight Horror Movie Club. I'm Kate and my Harry Potter house on paper is Gryffindor but I'm actually a Slytherin. Hi guys my name's Emma and I am a Ravenclaw on paper and a Ravenclaw in real life. It's typical Ravenclaw. (laughs) Always talking about how they're a Ravenclaw. I know (laughs) well for a while people were people as in my sisters were trying to bully me into being a Hufflepuff, but it's become a it's become a proud clan of Hufflepuffs. Yeah, Hufflepuffs are taking over the world right now. <laughs> yeah. They really took back what um what JK Rowling did to them. <laughs> and Hufflepuff <laughs> yeah. got the others. <laughs> <laughs> the useless sweethearts of Hogwarts. I know. I listened to the book on tape recently and you, you know every year they kind of covered the sorting hat and they were talking about they did the little sing song, and it's different every year. And each and each time, it's like, and then there were Hufflepuffs, and they were pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm I'm happy about your Hufflepuff revolution, guys. Keep it up. <laughs> but we are not here to talk about Harry Potter. We are here to talk about horror movies, specifically uh, the 2019 horror comedy Ready or Not, which Emma watched this morning. <laughs> You guys, I may be late to the game, but I did my homework. <laughs> Spoilers ahead. We do spoil the movies on this show, but please, if you're interested in guts uh, or not so subtle class divides, um, hide and seek, creepy ants, how to use a crossbow, good acting. And if you're anyone, if anyone else is excited to talk about the new Scream, anyone else out there? Well, we're going to be talking about Scream Five. So there's a new Scream. Oh up. my god. <laughs> Well, <laughs> oh my you didn't God. bring me here for my prowess. No, I did not. <laughs> you just showed up, and here you are. So that <laughs> Can't get rid of that's me. the that's the um, dichotomy in a nutshell. I really really like horror movies and horror books and all things horror. And Emma's just kind of here for the ride, having a good time, yeah, not man. complaining. <laughs> yeah, I'm just here for uh, so you have someone to talk to. <laughs> Mom made you do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, Emma's also my sister. So let's talk about Ready or Not. Let's do. It. I have to pick a film genre, which I haven't done actually. Ooh. Okay. Well, while, while I'm going to give you a second to pick a film genre, and while you do that, I can just give everybody just a little quick one-liner about what the movie's yes, about. Yes, please. How does that sound? Okay. So today, as she mentioned, we're doing Ready or Not. So this is a 2019 comedy horror film. It follows a newlywed bride named Grace, played by Samara Weaving, as she's hunted by her spouse's family as part of this perverse, uh, satanic wedding night ritual. Sound about That's right? a solid line right there. Good job, Emma. <laughs> um, I didn't pick film genre again in those five seconds. I didn't. I'm going to hmm. say Andy McDowell horror. <laughs> I mean, we you. The thing is, you could kind of do something with that because you can do. Wasn't there like a Groundhog Day, but like R-rated version of Groundhog Day? There was a movie trailer that was an R-rated recut. No, like a dark recut. It was like a movie where. Oh, it was Happy Death Day. Annie McDowell is not in Happy Death Day. No, no. (laughs) Yeah, she's not in it, but it carries the same theme of Groundhog Day, which she is in. 
I think that's a really big stretch, but I appreciate you well, doing you that for me. Genre, okay? I know. I so appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate you. As we said, I'm here for moral support. Protecting me like this. Um, I'm going to call this genre a sleeper hit. So it's obviously like a horror comedy, but so is like so many other movies. Some of my favorite movies, so no disrespect intended. Um, but this was definitely a sleeper hit. And so a sleeper hit is whenever a movie is initially not popular at all, and then it becomes extremely popular. So some other horror movies that were sleeper hits, um, actually extremely popular movies, like Friday the 13th, Halloween, oh. um, Scream, all of those were sleeper hits. And for those of you guys that aren't into horror movies, which shockingly, there's a lot of you guys <laughs> in this club, um, some other non-horror sleeper hits like Napoleon Dynamite, um, My Big Fat Greek Weddings, movies like which that. Is, those are not horrors, however, and we will not be discussing them here. Unfortunately, we will not be discussing those here. But those are sleeper hits, and this movie was no exception. Um, it came out, like we said, in 2019, so last year. I got to watch this in theaters before... All hell broke loose. <laughs> I was about to say, are you about to tell us what a hipster you are because you watched it before it was popular? No, I just mean before we, back whenever theaters were a thing. Remember mm-hmm. theaters? Those were Vaguely. fun times. Those were fun times. Um, I watched this in theaters and then I immediately called Chris and I was like, Chris, you need to go watch this movie. And he was like, no, sounds scary. <laughs> well, it was quite graphic. Yeah, it's very, it's a very gory movie. Um, but as someone who gets, as someone who, gets a little squeamish with the gorier horror. I was definitely squeamish, but the amount of comedy really pulled me through. I loved the gore. I thought, yeah, it's played in like a super funny way. Um, And we'll talk about it, but all that gore, none of it was CGI or it was all practical effects, like explosions and meat guns. Wait, so is this, wait, you said explosions of meat guns? Explosions and meat guns, two different things. (laughs) (laughs) There are meat explosions and meat guns. I did read somewhere that they, uh, a lot of the, it was a lot of food-based product for the the gore and that it actually tasted quite good. And that's not the first time I'd heard, you know, they always, they usually use things like corn syrup and, or chocolate syrup or things like that. Uh, This was the first time I had heard about bananas being used as practical effects (laughs) for like Hollywood viscera. So I liked that. Read that as I was eating a banana. <laughs> so. I, I don't know what texture that that's fitting for. It's not like your organs are mushy like bananas, aren't they? They can no, be if they, they if be they're exploded. <laughs> if they're exploded, but I would still think it'd be more rubbery. But I don't okay, know. Well, you I'm don't not know a, anything, a so you don't know anything. So let's go to the budget for this movie, and I want to contrast this to Split, which we covered in the last episode. No spoilers for Split, don't worry. But So the budget for this movie was $6 million, And in the box office... I was going to say, Split did, uh, was way more expensive than that, right? I mean, yeah, it was Six $9 million. doesn't seem like that much. It, it's, a, it's a decent amount. It's, nothing, horror, cra- it's nothing crazy. Gotcha. It's not end game. <laughs> but it, it's not chump change either. No, Split was $9 million. This was $6 million. And the box office was, they got uh, $57.6 million. Oh, very nice. It's fine. Like, it's fine. For, so for reference, Split got $278.5 million. I mean, M. Night Shyamalan. I know. It's not, right? it's not really fair to compare. But, and it also, like I said, this was a sleeper hit. So a lot of the popularity came after it was in theaters. Like, after it had he, exited theaters. I would have thought that Adam Brody... 
the dream dream hunk that he is. Oh my god, I love him so much. He, yes, anyone who's seen the OC, or even if you haven't seen the OC, and then also, so that gets a whole generation of early two thousand nights. And then you would think Andy McDowell maybe would pull some more people, but I don't know how prevalent she was in the trailer. Quite. She's Andy McDowell. <laughs> well, can you tell us a little bit about the cast? I would love to. Um, so we have uh, Samara Weaving, who plays Grace. She's the protagonist. Uh, she was in The Babysitter, which was a Netflix horror comedy gore movie that we the haven't covered yet. The one with Bella uh, Thorne, right? What? I don't know what you're talking about. Bella Thorne, she was like the main character in The Babysitter, right? No, that Samara Weaving was the main character in The Babysitter. Oh, she was the main character, but Bella Thorne was like the slutty cheerleader that was advertised a lot in it. I don't know who Bella Thorne is. Babysitter for being like a straight to Netflix was pretty popular. Well, I actually just searched babysitters, and so now it's <laughs> Nanny's on the go is the first thing that came up. <laughs> so like I was saying, um, she was in The Babysitter – which is an equally gory um, horror comedy that we haven't covered yet. And uh, this I, I would call this probably her breakout role, but it's, it's a tough call. But she, she's, she's amazing. <laughs> she's amazing in this movie. And um, then we have the Ladomus Gaming Dominion, Dynasty Empire Dominion. We prefer Dominion. They prefer Dominion. We prefer Dominion. Um, we have Alex, who is her husband, Portrayed by Mark O'Brien, who I admittedly don't recognize from much, but I would like for that to change. I really liked him. I liked stuff. him too. He was he's Canadian, I think, which might be part of the reason we don't recognize some of this cast. Literally everyone in Hollywood is Canadian. So. <laughs> I don't know about that. Everyone okay. is Canadian. The weekend, Drake, others. There are only uh fun fact, there are only three people in this movie who are not Canadian. Three main actors. You're proving my point. Everyone's Canadian. Is Adam Brody Canadian? No, he's one of the three. He's American. Okay, I was. I don't know why that would have upset me so much. We know the totally Americans, did. right? Adam Brody, Andy McDowell, uh, Andy McDowell, and then the Australian uh, weaving. You just said we know the Americans, including the Australians. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. To, we to count her. The non-Canadians. We as count we her. Call them. So then we have, like Emma said, we have Daniel, who is the brother, played by Adam Brody. Um, literally everyone's teenage crush during the early to mid-2000s. Um, he, we also had him in a recent movie, uh, Jennifer's Body. I used him as the intro clip for Jennifer's Body. He was the, oh, nice. He was the lead singer for Low Shoulder. I he really was, like him. He was also, okay, I adore him. Um, like, okay, I need to calm down. I have so much to say. <laughs> you cannot see, but she is fanning herself. I am fanning myself. I love him. Um, he was in Scream 4. I'm probably the only one who remembers that, but he was. <laughs> he was a cop <laughs> in Scream 4. Um, I'm talking about that because I'm going to talk about, I'm going to tie this movie with Scream 5 soon. What a segue, Kate. I, I know. Everyone's like, Kate, stop talking about Scream. No, never. Um, <laughs> and back to Adam Brody. I, I know it's ridiculous to call him underrated because he has been a very well-employed actor for literally decades. But I just think his line delivery steals the show every time. Like, he's just funny. I agree. And I, I kind of get what you're saying, though, because we all know who he is. So he is very well appreciated in that regard. But he always plays supporting characters. I feel like. I mean, there he's been. A, he was in that movie with Meg Ryan, which I think he was like a love interest or something. I don't know. But for the majority of his roles, I feel like he plays a very strong supporting actor. Like when he was in the OC, he was by far my favorite part of the entire show. 
I mean, I'm still upset that he left Gilmore Girls, just left us hanging. Left Lane Kim hanging. Yeah, I I remember. I remember because they were just like... got too successful for Gilmore Girls. I'm so upset about it because they're like, hey, we got this new character. It's Adam Brody. He's a love interest for Lane who finally is getting what she deserves out of life. And then the new season comes up and they're like... Dave's in college. I'm like, God yeah. damn it. <laughs> it was a very half-assed, like, well, you'll never see him on screen again. It's when He's, he like, went, on the phone with him or something like that. No, not even. It's when – maybe. It's whenever he went to the OC, which good for him because he might not have been in this movie if he didn't. But that I'm still bitter about that. Also, um, side note, he's still married to Leighton Meester. Isn't that what precious? A, attractive yeah. couple. That it's it, It's almost annoying, but I'm really happy for them. Less annoying, though, than Blake Lively and um, Ryan Reynolds. They're just stupid attractive. They're, like, too shiny attractive. At least Adam Brody and Leighton Meester have just a little bit of grunge to them. Grunge? They are, there's nothing grungy about them. Well, they're, like, they're never smiling in their photos, <laughs> which I find endearing. <laughs> At least they might not be as happy. So <laughs> No, it's just, like, they're not both, like, I don't know. Tell us how by. you really feel. Team Don't Lane smile Easter. in front of Emma. It's a sign of weakness. She's like a chimpanzee. <laughs> I bet, wait till y'all see my wedding photos one day. <laughs> and I'm, I'm sorry I'm talking so much about Adam Brody. And I hesitate to even do this because I don't want to give our viewers the wrong impression. Because as I have stated in every episode, Justin Long has my heart and he always will. Brody's a close second. Mm. but it's Justin Long forever. I will not take any criticism at this time. <laughs> okay, I'll hold my opinion. Also, um, whenever I was doing research for this movie, I look at a lot of um, videos online. There are multiple fan vids on YouTube shipping Daniel and Grace. <laughs> I can totally see that, and I would support it. <laughs> well, you, you wouldn't be alone. They have thousands and thousands of views out there. I know um, what I'm doing after this. You're going to watch... Um, Hastily yeah, I'm not going, clipped I'm not going videos. to work anymore. I'm just going <laughs> to watch videos. <laughs> Ooh, sorry, guys. I was busy. Sorry about that. Sorry about that. Shipping two characters that do not have a relationship in a movie. <laughs> I'm just working out. I was just, I got so into my fanfic. I lost track of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great excuse for med school. They'll they love, love that, that. one. Um, then we have Becky, who is the mother. It is played by, she's played by Andy McDowell, who I, you know, I mean, it's Andy McDowell. And then. It's my favorite time. I've, I liked her. Way more than I liked her in Groundhog's Day. And that's not because she did anything wrong in Groundhog's Day. I just thought she was so engaging in this movie. You know it's not Groundhog's Day. Groundhog Day? I don't think you're a true McDowell fan, Emma. I'm I don't just think saying. I am. <laughs> I don't think you are. I don't and think she I did way better be. than that movie she did in the 70s, you guys. <laughs> she has grown. Well, we, have, we, have we seen a lot of her since then? Yeah, she's in a bunch of stuff. She's like... List it, Kate. I can't. Yeah, exactly. because I'm not the audience for those things. But she just did like a show that she got like a bunch of acclaim for, and I think that's what put her on the on the. I love how vague that was. Well, well you know what? Again, I will take no criticism at this time. <laughs> um, but we haven't even talked about my favorite character. Who is, Emma? Do you know who my favorite character is? The cokehead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Emily Wasn't she a treat? Emily was a treat. I loved her. So um Emily is one of the sisters uh who, played by Melanie Scrifano who I knew exclusively as being Mrs. McMurray from the Hulu show Letter Kenny. 
I've never heard of that, but she definitely did a great job in this. She's literally just like, I think like this, this crazy mayor's wife and she's just quietly, no, she's not quiet. She's loudly hilarious. And in this show, she is similarly loudly hilarious, but I like that she gets a lot of screen time. I liked her partner too. Oh, um, Fitch, who is played by Christian Bruin. I like him. I like whenever he, they give him a crossbow and he's like, what the fuck? How old is this? Yes. And then he's sitting on the toilet watching a YouTube tutorial on how to use a crossbow. Oh, and fun fact, that video actually was the creators or uh, cameoing in that video. Those are the writers. Yeah. Those are the writers. mm -hmm. There were two writers and they had an uncredited appearance as a those hillbilly crossbow tutorial people. I love that, that was um, Guy Busick and Ryan Christopher Murphy. And I guess now's a good of a time, good enough time to segue into why I keep talking about Scream 5, which I'm so excited about. So the director, they're the directors. There are two of them. It's Tyler Gillette, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Matt Bettinelli Alpen. And together they are, they call themselves Radio Silence as a group, which is Super cool. Sounds and, like a band name. And they have been chosen to direct Scream 5. So they are inheriting the Scream 5 franchise from promising. the late Wes Craven. That's very so promising. Kind of a huge deal. Because this whole time I thought you were talking about Halloween. And I was like, do we need another? So oh God, I'm much Emma. more I'm oh, much honey. more excited now. That, I think I try to make every horror movie into Halloween. I think you That's think they're I, all Halloween. I did so bad on that that quiz back in the day when you were trying to get me to guess Friday the 13th. Yeah, and everything's Halloween until proven otherwise. Oh, Scream. that's exciting though. Scream, I, yeah, I like Scream. Do you? You don't even know what it's called. Well, I liked the first one. <laughs> okay, great. Well, Wes Craven, who has since tragically passed on and we miss him dearly, he created a crazy fan base for Scream, for the Scream franchise, which has four movies so far, a couple of TV series. I'm sure there's a video game out there. And um, whenever he passed on, there was like this big void felt, obviously, by the fan base. And everyone was like, what's going to happen to Scream? And these radio silence is like, we got you. And God bless them because the Scream fans are absolute psychos, myself included. They are yeah, very Austin, protective. Our brother. And our brother, yes. They are very protective of the franchise. But I'm so, so happy that these two guys are taking over. I, I know that they're going to do it true to Wes Craven's vision, and that just makes me really happy. And it's not just them. Uh, Busick, Guy Busick, who was one of the crossbow instructors, one of the writers for this movie, he nice. is also going to be on the writing team for Scream 5. When are they, uh, when's Scream 5 due to come out? 2002. No, that's... <laughs> <laughs> no, Kate, that was Scream it is, 3 or it whatever. It's very late. Uh, 2022. <laughs> 2022. <behind> <laughs> 2022. So it's going to be a minute, but I'm already on along with our brother Austin, who's a scream psycho also. I'm on a Facebook group of weirdos, just like just like this group of conspiracy weirdos. Conspiracy theories. Group of weirdos. Yeah, I'm part of a lot of group of weirdos, and I'm glad you guys are too. <laughs> See? <laughs> we found our people, and there's the a lot more club. out there. Um, but again, that's not the only people who are involved in this movie. They're also going to be involved in Scream 5. One of the producers, one of the main producers, his name is James Vanderbilt. He is also going to be the co-writer for Scream 5. So it's going to be him and then Guy Busick. So a lot, a lot of overlap with this yeah, movie. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of overlap. Um, but before I move on, I, I would be um, remiss if I did not bring up one of the 
best cast members, who is Nikki, Gu- Nikki Guad, oh God, Guadagni. <laughs> Try that one more time. <laughs> let me, let me look up how it's pronounced. Please include this. Oh, I was way off. Hold on. Guadagni. How well, is that's, it, is there a G in the last name? Nikki Guadagni. That sounded great. Anyway, she's Aunt Helene. She's a freaking ste- scene stealer. I, I love everything that she's in. Brown-haired niece, you continue to exist. <laughs> yeah. I love it. This is one of the few movies I've ever seen where everyone's the scene stealer. Like, everybody. The scene I was is very, perpetually very stolen. Yeah, it's, it's good acting, especially Samara Weaving, who I don't know from Adam. I have never seen her. She nailed it. I can't imagine anyone else in that role. She did so, so perfectly. Um, I, I do want to hear how it did critically. I have a bunch of random fun facts for this, for this movie. Um, would you like to do critical reception first? Actually, I want to hear your... No, okay. I'll do the critical reception first, and we'll save the fun facts. Cool. So thoughts on how it did? Extremely well. Okay. Well, you are correct. It got, yeah. Rotten Tomato gave it 88%. Uh, for critics and then 78% for audience. So very good. Um, the, here's a quote from David Ehrlich from IndieWire that I, I really liked. So he starts with the, the quote that you'll recognize, fucking rich people. <laughs> he says, spat out through a set of bloody teeth, those words cut right to the heart of this devil, devilishly fun late summer surprise, a violent dark comedy that sometimes literally skewers the 1% by inviting us into a clan who would sooner kill than surrender their good fortune. I love it. I yeah, love fucking rich people. And that's that's one thing that I really like about this show. And it's something that, or this movie, and it's something that the directors are very adamant about is that they want movies to be entertainment first. But if they can add some really biting satire, they will. I thought it added a lot to it and made, for someone like me who doesn't necessarily always go to just pure horror, it gave me something else to hold on to a little bit. Yes, I love it. Because literally the beginning of the movie, like, Cokehead Magoo is like, oh my God, I've been stalking you on Instagram. We're going to be best friends. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Her husband's like, well, sorry, we're late. Like our plane had issues and I can't fly commercial. <laughs> and they go yeah. from that to like, okay, you drew the card. I'm going to shoot you in the head with a crossbow. Yeah, the irreverence that throughout is is really good. Um, another, another one that I liked, this is by Joyce Slayton, Common Sense Media. So this one's not quite as shiny, but I, I think it adds something. So she said, coming off like a mashup between The Purge and Clue, this stalk and slash thriller swings and misses at pointed social commentary, but it's bloody good fun anyway. So she was a little bit more critical of it. Uh, I tend to agree more with Dear David from IndieWire because I thought I thought it was actually hit the nail on the head pretty well for what it was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the comparison to like this baby of The Purge and Clue. I do like that. I think that's funny because yeah. it has the um, – I don't want to keep using irreverent, but damn it, that's the perfect word. Irreverent mm-hmm. humor of Clue with like the actual like suspense and gore of the purge. I thought it yeah. was I thought it was beautiful. I'm I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. This is like a top five movie for me. Yeah, I really, really liked it. I'm more revisited at the end, but I will say I really liked it. Okay. I'm excited to know what you say about the end. Oh, I have one I have one last one I want to add. Go for it. This is just a one-liner. 
shotgun wedding takes on a new meaning. <laughs> That's cute. Isn't that cute? That's cute. I like that. They should have put that in the, the poster byline. They should have. Damn. There were just so many puns. They didn't know what to do. Exactly. They didn't know what to do with themselves. Okay. Tell me about the fun facts. Okay. So this is going to just be like a hodgepodge of all the fun facts that I got from yeah, the interwebs and from the commentary from the movie. So uh, there were no fewer than 17 wedding dresses that they used. Wow. <laughs> and various stages of blood splatter and gore, which is really cool. Uh, they only, ha- but while they had 17 wedding dresses, they only had five candelabras. So they had to wow, keep the whole house. <laughs> yeah. So they had to keep moving them around all the, all the <laughs> rooms and sets to like pat everything out. They had 17 dresses, five candelabras. So, uh, the Ladomas home is the same as the Billy Madison mansion from Billy Madison. It's the same. Well, house. That's a very di- different <laughs> movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was cute. And then the masks, I liked this a lot. So the masks in the flashback from the beginning, um, whenever the kids running around and everyone has those creepy, horrible masks mm-hmm. on. I loved this mask. Yes. Um, they're a reference to a 1965 episode of the twilight zone, Ooh. which is called, it's called the masks. And that oh, whole episode is about this like, dying aristocrat who's forcing his like greedy leechy kids to wear these masks as a reflect as a reflection of their ugly inner selves in order to get their inheritance what a badass grandpa i i love the mask and it makes sense that this could kind of easily translate to an earlier uh decade because they're pretty simplistic but they're just so unsettling that's great and it's also great to know that even as far back as the Twilight Zone era, they were using it to make these social commentaries about class. Mm-hmm. This one I thought was funny. <laughs> Samara Weaving. So for her, again, this is like one of her first like major pictures. Uh, Samara Weaving's first scene was a rehearsal that she did. And it was that, um, that scene where she and Andy McDowell are fighting at the end. And, right. where, and she goes, spoiler, hits her with that box. Mm-hmm. So she did hit her on accident <laughs> during oh, rehearsal. Yikes. Yeah, and um, she thought she was going to get fired. It was literally the first day of shooting. Oh, she's an expensive person to hit. I can yeah, understand how she's hit, probably very Andy. nervous. Don't hit Andy McDowell. But um, McDowell was fine. She just had to like ice up because mm-hmm. she got whacked upside the head with a box. Good Lord. What a good I know. sport. What a good sport. Um, speaking of uh, Andy McDowell's pain, she also injured her back right before shooting this movie. Oh, wow. But she didn't tell anyone. So you might notice, and again, this movie has this movie has infinite rewatchability. So and if you go back and watch it, you'll kind of notice she has like this slinky, like sinister walk. Mm-hmm. Um that was that was on purpose. She tried to do it on purpose because her back hurt. Oh, <laughs> that's so I know. sad. I know. But um God bless you for sticking through. I, I really liked having her like Southern energy in this movie mm-hmm. a lot. I, I liked it a lot. Uh, also speaking of Annie McDowell, uh, best line of the movie, in my opinion, was her screaming out, holy dick. <laughs> <laughs> and that was entirely ad-libbed. And I'm so glad they kept it in the movie. Apparently. When does she say that? Um, it's, it's towards the end. Gotcha. It's near the end of the movie. And she goes, holy dick. <laughs> and apparently that was something that Annie McDowell's father said a lot. It was like one of his favorite phrases. <laughs> which again is extremely Southern. <laughs> and I, this one I already said, but um, there's very, very minimal CG in this movie. There's very little com- computer graphics, which is super intentional because if you look at a lot of the horror movies that use computer graphics, it takes you out 
of the reality. Mm-hmm. Like it's obvious, even when it's really good, it's obvious. And in this movie, they used very, very minimal CG and it was not obvious. Um, I loved at the end, whenever uh, you get just a flash of the the person they sold their soul to, basically Satan, whenever he's sitting in that chair at the end. Yes. I, th- I thought that was great. And I liked that you didn't get, he wasn't just sitting there and he had a monologue or something stupid. It was just like this little like flicker. Yes. Just enough to confirm, oh, this is legit. Just yeah, enough. They, they they did sell their soul and make a deal with the devil. The endings, like you said, the endings. But uh, okay, well, other than that guy sitting in the chair, that was probably a little bit of computer graphics. <laughs> but the rest of the ending was specifically not CG, um, because and this was Vanderbilt, what the, one of the producers. It's also going to go right. Scream five, scream five. What up? He he specifically was saying, I do not want it to look like shit to people, <laughs> which CG mm. often looks like shit. And he was like, and this is the ending. So I do not want the last thing that people see to be like, oh, gross. That wasn't that wasn't oh, yeah, that, that wasn't good. Flat. <laughs> I wonder, do you know how they exploded the people? Because I'm like, if they didn't use a bunch of CGI, how did they cut people out of the scene when they exploded? The old fashioned way. They would have them come in, say, freeze cut and then they would leave the scene and then they'd put a stand oh, I love it. yeah they'd put a green stand with like to a green screen that can be edited out easily they put a green stand with a bunch of goo on it and then they they had charges on it and they just charged them set off the, the charge if and, and it would explode or whenever um shoot her name is not mrs mcmurray emily whenever emily and the two boys like run off screen and you just get that explosion set off from outside of the frame going into the frame mm-hmm. that's how they did that and then for the reaction shots they would basically they had like a meat gun like a meat cannon sort of and a meat gun and then they also had a producer just flinging goo and they just <laughs> shoot it at them that's great. I I really really like that. And um, one thing that I thought was really cool is Fitch, who is uh, played by Christian Bruin. He's the one with the crossbow, learning how to do the crossbow on the toilet. Um, so first of all, everyone was super game to have meat juice, fake juice stuff thrown at them. Everyone was on board. But he, one of the first things he said is like, "Can I get some of it in my mouth?" And um, Vanderbilt was like, no, no, like, don't worry. Like, it's non-toxic. Like, if it gets in, like, it's fine. It's all, like, food-based. And he's like, no, no, no. I want it in my mouth because <laughs> I want to do a bit where I spit it out. <laughs> oh, very nice. And he did. He did that bit where he, like, his mouth is open it's and like, he just, like, like <laughs> spits it out of his mouth. So I just thought that was really cool. The one thing that was CG was the nail going through Grace's hand. Uh, that and was hard that, to watch. Yep, that was hard to watch. And the directors were really worried that it wouldn't look right because it was CG and they were worried, mm-hmm. it, worried it would stand out, but Weaving absolutely nails that performance. So Pun intended. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, <laughs> that's really funny. And then there's one more um, fun fact that I just, I thought it was hilarious. So Searchlight, the production company, specifically asked them, hey, guys, like, don't go crazy with the fog. Mm -hmm. But they did anyway because, and this is a direct quote, we love the fog. (laughs) Oh, that's so endearing. (laughs) I know. You enjoy the fog. You make it a horror movie. You can have as much fog as you want. You have all the fog you want, baby. You go crazy. (laughs) But those are my fun facts for this movie. Oh, I love it. I thought it was really enjoyable. This is a really enjoyable movie. It just seems like it was also really enjoyable to make. I really liked learning about the people behind the scenes, and I'm very excited to see what they do on Scream 5. But now let's talk about 
Ready or not. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's talk about the the whole thing, the walkthrough. So the movie opens in uh, as in a flashback. It's 1989. We're inside the Ladomas mansion. We have baby Daniel and baby Alex. They're um, running around up to obviously no good. Alex gets hid in the closet. Daniel hides him in the closet, which I think is extremely sweet and kind of foreshadows that Daniel, even though he is a very surly alcoholic character, very mm-hmm. bitter character, he cares a lot about his brother. Yeah, he definitely has um, has emotions. He's not completely soulless. Like he his is wife. not like his wife. <laughs> of course not, honey. She's not like us. She has a soul. <laughs> yeah, d- delivered beautifully. Delivered beautifully, as always. So um, he puts Alex in the closet. And then this guy walks up and we don't know who he is. He's just this guy asking for help. He's like, please, Daniel, like help me. Um, I've been wounded. We see those people with the masks on. Um, and instead of helping him, little boy Daniel is like, he's here, he's here. And we see this woman in a wedding dress um, and she's screaming, trying to save this guy who is clearly her husband. And, uh, but the, he gets dragged away to be killed. So that's the ending. Nope, that's the intro. (laughs) And that's all, folks. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the intro. And then we um, flash forward to present day. We have grown-up Alex. He's getting married to Grace, played by Samara Weaving. She is really nervous about joining his family, and we get that awesome line. I'm very excited to join the um, Dynasty Empire. Uh, Dominion. We prefer Dominion. (laughs) Um. And so we find out that they came to their ridiculous, enormous wealth by being a gaming company, like board games, which I really like that. I really liked it too because I had seen the trailer, but I didn't really – I just knew people were going to get hunted and that was about the extent. So whenever I, you start getting the backstory of them kind of being heirs to a board game fortune, I was already kind of hooked. And it gets crazier because there's a supernatural element to their board game fortune. I love it. I love it. But she's very nervous about marrying into their family. She comes from basically nothing. She was an orphan. She does not have any sort of family, and she's happy to be joining this family. You poor girl. And so then they go to a photo shoot um, before the ceremony. We get to meet all of the family. We have Aunt Helene leering from the sidelines along with the rest of them which I adore. And then Daniel lets her know, oh, don't take it personally. They're just trying to figure out if you're a gold-digging whore, you know, like my wife. I love that line. (laughs) I also, just the side note, I think they fit in swell at my wedding as none of them were smiling for those photos. Oh, yeah, you're right. No one was smiling. No, they were like talking through them. I'm like, they're really giving the photographer a hard time with this. Oh, they don't give a shit about the working class. They're like, you can figure it out. So they're they're at the... At the wedding, taking photos, you get introduced to all the characters that way. And he's and he's not kidding about his wife being a cold digger. She literally is very open about the fact that she only married Daniel for their family's wealth. Yep. And then we get to meet Dad, who is his name is Tony. Um, he is openly dis- disapproval. He is openly disapproving of Grace, but nowhere near as much as Aunt Helene. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one can top Aunt Helene's <laughs> no one tops uh, Aunt Helene. sour um, d- disposition. I love when how she's like glowering from the corner like all the time, but even like they're like kissing in a room and she's just in the corner. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's like, yeah, she has boundary issues. <laughs> yeah, no shit. No shit. But at least we have 
mama Becky who actually does care about grace. And she, she's like, Hey baby girl, only thing, only, only, only opinion that matters is your husband's opinion and he loves you. And so everything's going to be fine. And she's actually very sweet and endearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they get married. And so then we, <laughs> then we have Grace and Alex post wedding, um, having a very tender moment. Aunt Helene <laughs> apparates, I guess, or she's been there the whole time. Oh no, she's wait, like, oh, secret. she's in a secret. She's yes. <laughs> She took a secret corridor for literally no reason. <laughs> Except to just creep. Except to be creepy. And she just shows up and she's like, okay, we need to we need to go do the family thing. Let's go. And then Alex is like, oh yeah, by the way, <laughs> we have to do, um, we have a tradition that we have to do because we're such a quirky little game family. You have to join us for a family game night. And she's a very good sport about it. I love their dynamic because I feel like from the very beginning, they seem so relatable. They didn't. They seem like a real couple. I guess they didn't seem like a yes. movie couple. Yes. They like the way they interacted. Seemed like they had you know little inside jokes and like their own personal like I don't know style. I guess. Um, yes. And then I liked that you get that at the beginning before the wedding. So you kind of start to invest in the characters because you see their little idiosyncrasies as a couple. That's very sweet and. I hate to say endearing. I say it so much. and then, But it is endearing. And then um, <laughs> afterwards, whenever they bring up the game night, you start to get that distancing from him where you're starting to sense well, that he's yeah. uncomfortable. <laughs> and that, like, starts to develop the, the rising tension, which I enjoyed. I think if it, if it was a couple that did not have the same chemistry, I would not care about them getting through the game night. You know what I mean? Yeah, you wouldn't care, and then you would have just assumed that he's in on it and he's evil, which is more boring than him being conflicted. Conflicted, yeah. He's very conflicted. So they go down to the most extra room in the house, which is a, what, 80-foot diameter table? Yes. That they all sit around. How would you There's play games all of at that table? That It would be so hard. You'd really have to put a lot of... Um, a lot of force behind, like, the card when you pushed onto the table. There'd be a lot of reach. Middle. Oh, um, a fun fact about that is all of those, like, horrific taxidermy animals, like the one, the bear that has, what would he have in his mouth? Like a goat or something in his he mouth? He had a goat in his mouth. There was a bear with a goat in his mouth. Those, like, they didn't make any of those. Those were all pre-existing that they brought in. <laughs> Isn't so that horrifying? So someone made that not for a horror movie? Yeah, someone purposely... Got like, that taxidermy I know what the people as want. an addition to their home. Oh no, <laughs> I know. Um, that has sinister undertones. Yeah, I want to know more about that family. I want to know more about that taxidermist. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Well, he's just doing what got sent to him. I want to know about the family who said this. Wait, so was that created specifically for a family? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was already existing, maybe in the estate where it was shot. I'm not I'm not 100% positive about that, but it was 100% already in existence, was not made by production. 100%. Yeah, all of Endearing, the, the taxidermy irre- Irreverent. <laughs> yeah. I'm making fun of the fact that we use the same three words. <laughs> you know what? Our vocabulary <laughs> down here in the South is limited. <laughs> limited. We use the same words mashed together in different groups. So now they're they're at the table. They're gonna play the game, or they're gonna they, they discuss the backstory of the choosing of the game. Uh, Emma, do you want to kind of explain what the supernatural backstory is? Sure. So uh, the basically the great grandfather, I believe, 
goes to goes on this sh- ship voyage. So I think he was in charge of buying. He used to buy um, different uh, antiques and sell them. Curiosities to, and stuff. Huh? Curiosities and stuff. Yeah. So, so basically, he would sell them to rich Americans. So he'd get all these uh, these antiques or uh, exquisite items and sell them uh, for an upcharge. And he was on a ship with this person. He meets this guy. The ancestor meet this, meets this guy named LaBelle on this ship. He's drinking with him, playing cards, things like that. And eventually this uh, puzzle box gets presented by LaBelle. And he says to the ancestor, the great-grandfather, you know, I will grant you a wish if you can just get this open by dawn. So the ancestor, the grandfather, he starts puzzling through this box. He manages to get it open by dawn and so basically makes a deal with LaBelle that in exchange for observing a particular family tradition – uh, that he'll support their success in the Le Damas fortune, which starts out with playing cards and then eventually grows into this big gaming uh, gaming company. And that's why they have an 80-foot diameter table. And that's why they have – so they had to get a table. Um, and five candelabras. Yes. Yeah, so that's why they have five candelabras and a table and this little puzzle box. So, Kate, do you want to pick up from there on how the yeah. puzzle box works? Yeah, for sure. So there's a bunch of cards that go into the box and they have different games on them. Um, Charity mentions like that she got chess and Fitch says he got old maid. I love that. That was a great line. I thought that was a good line. Um, What the fuck is old maid? (laughs) What is old maid? And um, there's there's clearly um, unspoken. There's a bad card that you don't want. And so um, they put the cards in and it's sort of like, you get you get a card at random from the box, and Grace draws the bad card. She draws hide and seek, and she's kind of chuckling. He's she's like, "Are we actually gonna play hide and seek?" Also, great great uh, writing because that's exactly how you would respond. You'd be kind of confused. You'd be a little awkward, but also trying not to be rude. Haha. <laughs> okay, but really, are we really playing hide and seek? It's are like really, am I really playing this with your older father? Like, what is going on? <laughs> it's my wedding night. I'm not into it. No, but she's she wants to please the family and she wants to take care of her husband, um, who is pale as a ghost at this card draw. Yeah, but doesn't say much. He's like, no, I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. So the rules are that Grace has to go hide while the family goes and seeks. So Tony, the dad, explains to her, okay, so you need to stay hidden and we come find you. And she's like, oh, well, like, is, how do I win? Like, is there a way to win hide and seek? And he's like, ha ha, well, you know, you could stay hidden till dawn. And they're like, ha ha ha, <laughs> knee slapper. How silly. And he's like, okay, now go run. And he puts on the creepiest song. I loved that. I really it did was, like that It was great. They almost used the um, Here Comes the Boogeyman song from Sinister. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very glad that they use this one, and I'll I'll include it in the outro. Ooh, perfect. So she goes and hides in a dumbwaiter, which is a great place. To, I I would hide in the dumbwaiter too. We should make our children whenever they play together um, um, in the future. We should make them like play that song as the intro for them to go hide and just like don't no! tell them any, don't tell them any context. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that's all fun and games until they have a friend over and we get child protective services called on us. <laughs> My God, be fun guys! Okay, I'm sorry. I, I was just daydreaming. Play the fun song. That's what you daydream about. Well, I was just then. <laughs> okay. 
So she goes and she hides. The family then arms themselves with guns, except for Helene and Fitch, because Helene gets an axe. She's very pleased with this. Yeah. And Fitch gets a crossbow, and he's like, how old is this crossbow? <laughs> And Alex just chooses to sit it out. So the family goes off to find Grace, and then Alex then leaves to go find her and warn her. And Grace gets very bored very quickly, and she just gets out of the dumbwaiter, and she finds she's found by Alex, who kind of gives her the lowdown and covers her mouth, shoves her into this room because there's people still walking around. And so he has her underneath... So he has her hidden behind uh, the bed in one of the be- in one of the bedrooms. Meanwhile, Clara, who is one of the maids, is walking around because little Georgie, one of the kids, has gotten out of bed. And Emily, like Grace, is still figuring out, like, is this like a sick joke? Like, what are you talking about? But Clara walks in the room, and Emily blows her face off because she thinks that it's. <laughs> grace she's um, coked up wild, she, <laughs> uh, wildly wildly high she's wildly high and um and i just really like that she took zero hesitations to shoot her face off when like five minutes earlier she's like i've been stalking your instagram we're gonna be best friends yes and this and this is a really good scene and it shows why this movie was so successful at hitting the tone it wanted to because tonal balance is key so they give grace this they give us an they give us Grace Grace's honest emotional reaction behind the bed whenever someone get, gets her face blown off in front of her like she's freaking out yeah. she's trying to steady her breathing and be quiet and then it's immediately directly contrasted by the family coming in and being like Emily you buffoon yeah Does she look like she's wearing a giant white wedding dress yes I love it Emily is so. Um ridiculous and self-centered that she's like why does this keep happening to me like it's all about her and not that the fact that she keeps killing random people oh yeah she's just like oh it's always me yeah I like the um the dad is always trying to comfort Emily like the whole time and at this point she's like oh damn she was our favorite maid well anyway (laughs) to which um Emily then takes another snort of cocaine and is like, no more fuck-ups. <laughs> yeah, she's like trying to give herself a pep talk in the mirror. <laughs> so now Grace realizes that it is no it is no time for games, pun intended. And so she takes her heels off, she puts tennis shoes on, she riffs the bottom of her dress, and overall gets like 200% more badass. Um, she starts to walk out and then is immediately spotted by everyone who's moving the maid's body. <laughs> she takes the wrong door, so he gives yes. her the instructions of like, blah, 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 then turn right or turn left. I don't actually don't remember what it was, but she gets to the, these two doors on either side of her. And she goes, shit. She doesn't <laughs> remember which way to go. And so then you see them and they're, you know, talking about, oh, where is she? Like, how is she getting away from us? And then one of them's like, found her because she's just at the door directly in front of them. <laughs> but as soon as they spot her, Emily then walks in from the other, other side of the hallway, screams and shoots again. <laughs> And it's just shooting so erratically that they're like, Jesus Christ, aim for the center of gravity. Like, she's just like <laughs> haphazardly flinging bullets towards the, her family members. And then at, at another point very soon, she is found by Daniel. Daniel finds her, but he is, he really doesn't, he is not invested in this hunt very He's much. He's a little invested. And in, at least in his soul. He's getting, um, deeper and deeper in his um, drunkenness 
and he just he just doesn't care. He's just like, this is bullshit. This family sucks. I hate everyone. But he at least he so he graciously gives Grace a head start before he alerts everyone. He's like, all right, I'm gonna give you ten seconds before I tell everyone that you're here, and she takes it. And so then the family's trying to come up with a new plan. And then the other maid, Tina, <laughs> comes into the room and is trying to tell them that she saw Grace. And Emily, who now has her husband's crossbow, shoots an arrow through Tina's head. Yeah, and this is after we've seen another shot of her, like, gurgling assorted pills <laughs> <laughs> on her way down the stairs. Yeah, she freaks out. He asked, she asked for the crossbow from her husband. He's like, sure, honey, you can. Of course, and babe. Then, then she shoots the, shoots the maid. And then you can see the dad looking at, like, the son-in-law, like, get that out of her hands. And then you can see him kind of gingerly go up to her and, like, take it out of her hey, hands. Hey, baby. Hey, baby girl. It's Yeah, okay. pretty much. Also, I just want to make sure it's clear. This woman is a mother of two children. She sure is. She has two children. So this is, now we have two maids dead. Emily wants to kind of tip the balance in, her, in their favor. And she's like, hey, we have all these security cameras. Please turn them on. And dad's like, no, that's not the tradition. Back in the day, grandpapa didn't have security cameras, basically. Meanwhile, Grace finds a rifle and some ammo. And um, so she's hiding in the kitchen because Alex is trying to turn on the cameras and disable the locks um, so he can have the upper hand and see where everyone is and get her out. Because... Right. I don't know if I mentioned this, the entire house is completely locked down. But then we meet the creepy butler who is involved in this tradition, Mm -hmm. which seems ridiculous because he's a butler. Like he didn't really get a great hand out of this. He just kind of got the shit end. But I feel like it's like it fits that trope of the fiercely loyal butler who's so embedded in that way of life. Yes. Um, It's also a great scene because she's hiding and having to like try to load her gun which is it's like a big shotgun kind of thing so it's and the bolts are gigantic and loud because they're metallic and she's having to try to do it in between him like humming and then him like singing (laughs) so it's a great bit of um tension and comedy well she gets spotted pretty fast and then she tries to shoot him but he's like oh no that ammo is display ammo you don't think we really would just leave the ammo out do you yeah and then she smashes him over the face with a pot of boiling tea and she manages to get away. Alex unlocks the doors and Grace gets outside. But then Alex gets caught by his dad and his brother in the control room and he gets attacked. Um, and he basically gets handcuffed. He's handcuffed in the bedroom so that he can't help Grace anymore. Meanwhile, she's out on the roof um, and she's listening to the dad and the, and the aunt talking. And that's whenever we figure out that that scene from the beginning was um, Aunt Helene was the bride and it was her husband, Charles, who was killed. And right. she has accepted it. She accepted it pretty much that day too. Like even in the backlash, yeah. she's like accepting it. She kind of just gave up that bit of her humanity. And her argument is that if, what's the name of the husband? Charles, if Charles, no, the name of the of Grace's partner. Oh, Alex. If Alex can just lean in and accept it, he'll be like much happier. So she's just kind of like, let's just we just need to break him, and he'll be fine, like I am. Healthy. <laughs> yeah. So now there's a third. Just maid. shell out their soul, and then you're great. Then you feel fine. <laughs> you don't feel anything. <laughs> You'll feel much better. Then there's a third maid. Her name's Dora. This one was so funny. So basically, she is in the 
dumb later, like causing too much noise because she's hiding. And the and Grace is like, hey, 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 it's oh, it's gonna be okay. She's like, she's like, I don't even, I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm, all the maids are getting killed. I'm not even a maid. He just likes watching me dance. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, Shh, honey, no, 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 they're coming for me. And then that's when this asshole maid, or I guess not maid, I should call her a dancer. Dancer, yeah. <laughs> when this dancer starts going, she's here, she's here, and she, the dancer tries to like press down on the. Um, Dumb waiter. Dumb waiter, and then accidentally basically severs her spinal cord. I mean, play stupid games. Get stupid prizes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then Grace runs away. So we're down. We're three for three with the with the maids. Um, she runs outside to the stable. We see Georgie, who Georgie has been missing this whole time, right? Georgie snuck out while one of the maids was try- supposed to be reading to him, and the maid fell asleep. And so Georgie's um, outside, and she sees him. And he's she's like, "Oh my gosh, a little kid! Of course, the little kid will help me." Um, but she didn't see the the flashback scene in the beginning. <laughs> she did not pay attention to that foreshadowing. No, <laughs> she did not. She missed that foreshadowing, and she's she's like, "Hey, help!" And so he draws a gun and shoots a hole through her hand. Yeah, and good aim that one. Very, yeah, sure. And then um, she immediately just punches him in the face and knocks him out. And I'm very rarely rooting for children to get punched. <laughs> but this kid needed to get punched. I'll tell you, that is not in Kate's character. She doesn't normally, she's not normally like this. I'm not normally like this, but Georgie needs to get punched. But then she gets startled by a goat, which I think is hilarious. And then she falls into a pit of goat corpses and also where some other bodies have been disposed i guess family members yeah it's basically the dumping site for bodies and then they fill that sucker up with some hydrochloric acid gross and so she's trying to climb out of the i hesitate to call it a ladder some wood that has been shackled together it was very considerate of them to put a little ladder there for for the corpses that they're dumping in there. Well, maybe they, you know, it's a maintenance. It's an old ladder. <laughs> and it immediately falls apart. And so she um, tries to reach the top, but it, ugh, I hate it. But the nail goes through the hole in her hand. Oh, yes, I'm holding bad. my hand very tightly, very tightly right now. So the, the nail goes through the hole in her hand. She manages to get up anyway. And she uses her dress to like wrap around her hand, which is clever. And um, she manages to get, break through the front gate and she's trying to flag someone down and they just drive past her, which is uh, insane to me. Yeah, they were kind of assholes. Yeah, kind of. So she's trying to she's trying to flag down help, but Stevens, the butler, is still after her and he um, she they get in a fight. Um, she attempts to strangle him with her dress, which is hilarious, and she ends up taking the car. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to talk to um, the the on on star people yeah. to get help, but the car has been already been reported stolen. Smart thinking, dude. Yeah. And so they shut the car down. It was so funny. They were like, you know, that language is unnecessary, ma'am. She's like, call nine one one. He's actually, we it's been reported as stolen, so we're gonna have to turn the car off now. And the guy's just like. <laughs> And the guy seems exasperated, like the OnStar um, worker seems exasperated, like, ma'am, can you please calm down? Like, <laughs> like, I'm not getting paid enough for this. It was good. So then obviously Stephen catches up to her and is able to tranquilize her and he's driving her back to the mansion while like 
talking on the phone to the family, like FaceTiming the family and saying, hey, I got grace. And he celebrates a little too early um, and he starts playing classical music so he can't hear her. And this is just funny. So he can't hear her. And the, but the family is watching on FaceTime as Grace wakes up and they're trying to warn him, but he, he's not listening. So they're mm-hmm. all gathering on the phone and she kicked him in the head twice. And so he rolls to the car and dies, but Grace survives and she gets out and then Daniel finds her and you... You want that to be a good thing, but he ultimately ends up siding with his family and he can't let his family down. So he knocks her out and he takes her back to the mansion. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, mom goes to Alex's room where he's handcuffed and tries to talk some sense into her, into him is like, I know you love her, but you got to stick with the family. Um, And Alex basically like sticks to his guns and like, if anything happens to Grace, like I denounce this family, I will kill you. So the family places Grace on an altar and to ritualistically sacrifice her to Mr. LaBelle. They pass around the chalice and they're drinking from it, but they start violently getting sick um, and puking. And it turns out that Daniel is still has some good in him. And so he gave everyone, I think he spiked it with hydrochloric acid to make everyone sick. And he frees her from the altar and he's trying to help her get out. Which he says, like, they'll just have weird poops for a week or so. I'm like, I don't know if that's how that would work with hydrochloric (laughs) acid. Sounds pretty damning to your intestines. That's right. Um, But he's he's trying to get her out, but they are found by Charity. Charity sees that he's not on their side anymore. And this is sad. And so she shoots Daniel in the throat. And Charity is his wife, for those who may have forgotten. Oh, yes. Charity, who does not care about Daniel, cares about the family fortune, just shoots him right in the head, right in the throat. Grace is able to like pistol whip Charity because they're out of bullets and she tries to help Daniel, but he tells her to go to take care of Alex pretty much, which is really, mm-hmm. really touching and really sweet. And I love it. I love Adam Brody because he just, he just does that really well. So Alex has since freed himself from his cuffs and he finds, oh, this is sad. He finds his brother dying. He's trying to save mm-hmm. him, but it's just way too late. The dad has gone full nuts and is trying to kill Grace himself, but she smacks him over the head he's with a like, lantern. He's basically like, Fuck this altar business. I'm just going to kill her right here, right now. We're running out of time. The sun's about to rise. Because they have to do it before dawn. Anyway, a bunch a bunch of, I don't know, chaos absolutely breaks out. Everyone's just in a total brawl. Um, Grace is able to grab the box, Mr. LaBelle's box, and she just absolutely bludgeons mom to death with this box. That's the scene where she accidentally actually, actually hit McDowell. So she, she really bled- goes for it. So I can, I yeah. thought was a real hit that must have severely must have hurt. hurt. It must have really hurt. So she bludgeons her to death with this box. Alex comes back and is trying to talk to grace. And this is where Alex joins the dark side. And she, he basically says like, you're not going to be with me after this. Are you? And then yeah. it's like, she's here, and just gives her up to the family. It was sad. It was very sad. It was like as soon as they had this like sort of tender moment where basically they realize they're not going to be able to get through this. And then he immediately is like, okay, well, fuck you then, I guess. Well, then I side with the family. Yeah, I will protect myself over you. So then everyone comes in and starts holding Grace down themselves. And Alex is literally has a dagger that he's going to stab his wife with. But um, Grace claws at Aunt Helene, which is the grip I would go for too, the old lady's grip. But she does get stabbed in the shoulder. She's able to get off. She does this really nice move that I thought was a nice twist where it's like they're basically going down to stab her in the heart. And at the last minute, she like shifts her shoulder forward. So it stabs her in the shoulder. And I thought that that was a nice touch. It's Because it's hard to put your body in the way of a dagger, even if it is to save another part of your body. That's really hard. Mm -hmm. But at this point, the sun is coming up and it's, 
too late. And so the whole family kind of like braces themselves for their impending death, but uh, nothing happens. Very uh, a la Hocus Pocus. Extremely. Yes, extremely. And so Aunt Helene is like, well, I'm done with this shit. I'm going to kill her anyway. Goes for her axe, goes to kill her. And then that's when we get her whole body just exploding into a mess of viscera. Yeah. And to Aunt Helena's credit, she's the only one that even at the end, she's like frantically apologizing to like the, her master basically. And is like, Oh, she's like, I'm so sorry. Let me kill her now. Like, whereas everyone else is like, well, we aren't lost. our cheeks red, you know, like everyone else is like, well, <laughs> how embarrassing. What do we red? do with her now? <laughs> yeah. Cause that's um, the moment where you're like, Oh, cause the, the whole movie you're like, is this real? Mm-hmm. Is this a real thing? Like, is there a supernatural element to this movie? And I honestly was like, no, there's not. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. But there is. And I really liked that turn of events where, Yeah, oh, and I shit. wasn't sure which one I wanted either. Like, I, w- I I kind of at the beginning thought that I wanted it to not be real and just be like, oh, this is, these people are so corrupted by purely by money. But then I, I kind of liked it at the end. Like, it, it paid off nicely. And I liked the little flicker of the the Satan himself. Um Sitting in the when chair. When he's in his chair and basically just kind of tips his hat. I like that. Yeah. So Helene explodes. The whole family is like, shit. And they're, they're exploding in turn. Um, Emily tries to run away with her kids and they explode through the hallway, which is hilarious. Tony dies. Everyone dies. And then Alex, <laughs> who is an absolute weasel, is still there. And he's like, Grace, please, like, forgive me. I'm, I'm so sorry. Because he's spared, because I guess because he's with her family now, like he's safe. He's, he's like, hey, look, like I, I'm, it's redeemable. They haven't, they, you know, they, they're blowing up all my family around me. They haven't blown me up because I'm with you. Like I'm not all bad, <laughs> but she's not so quick to forget. So she, t- <laughs> she takes her ring off and throws it at him. Is just like, I want a divorce, and then he explodes. And then we get that beautiful scene of like the entire house catching on fire. We see the spirit Mm -hmm. of Mr. LaBelle like nodding at her like you win. And then she goes outside. She's covered in blood in her wedding dress and she just starts smoking a cigarette. The police and the paramedics show up. They're like, what the hell happened? And she says, (laughs) in-laws. It was was a great delivery. And that's the end of the movie. I think we've kind of already confessed how we feel about it. A plus. a plus. I really liked it. I was. I really didn't know if I was going to like it going in. I knew you had just from you recommending it to me long ago, and I was. But you know, it's kind of hit or miss for me with, with some horror. But I very much liked it. I loved the acting. I thought that the story was simple enough, but was consistently funny and clever. That I was happy to just be along for the ride, um, even if like the gore isn't what does it for me. I, I really liked it. I mean, this is a top five movie for me. Not just like a top five horror movie, but just a top five movie. I've probably watched it three times now. I really, really like it. I can't find nothing wrong with it. I just really, really enjoyed the movie. So um, if we're looking at our scoreboard, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, if you go to nightlighthorrormovieclub.tumblr.com backslash scoreboard, um, you'll find our entire um very biased, um, very bastardized movie club ranking of all the movies we've seen. So Absolutely. I'm I'm going to be bold. This is top three. Um, for okay. Me. Well, remind me of remind me of them. Number one is the thing. Number okay. two is Jennifer's body. Number three is a quiet place, and then The Conjuring and Oculus. 
And I want this to be number two. So only below the thing. Oh, damn. So I can't, because I haven't seen Jennifer Bo- Jennifer's body, I'm going to leave it to you. I really liked it, so I'm comfortable with it going number two. Um, so if you if you feel good about that, then I definitely feel good about it. I feel good about it. <laughs> I'd much rather rewatch this one than many of the ones that are below it, including like The Conjuring or The Quiet Place or any of those, to be honest. Hell yeah. I just thought it was a really original idea. I liked that it was funny, but also gory. I liked that it had realistic, like, relationship moments. I liked all of it. I liked the set design. A plus. Yeah. No notes. I'm definitely going to recommend it to other people. Um, okay. Well, I guess that that's where that's going to go. Uh, the next thing to do would be to plan for our next next episode, which will be not the following Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that. So we, we have switched to every other Wednesday. Um, I think what we should do is kind of in the same in the same vein as what we did previously. We should do another um, pick three. So okay. if you go to our Instagram, you can uh, vote for it, um, and whichever one wins, we will do for our next episode. How what does are, that sound, Kate? I think it sounds great. That's how we got this one. But what are the three that we're choosing from? Okay, so for this one, we're going to spice it up, and we're going to pick from three different Stephen King's Yes. Because uh, I know that we have a lot of Stephen King lovers out there. Um, so I, the ones that we're going to vote between are one, Carrie. Mm-hmm. The original. Uh, the original Carrie. Uh, two will be uh, Misery. I have not seen Misery yet. I haven't either, and I've always wanted to see it, and I have the book, and I haven't read it yet. So that would be new for us both, As and Carrie is just a classic. And then for the third one, I thought maybe we'd take it a bit more modern and do Gerald's Game. Yes! I love those choices! Yeah! Okay, so great. I'm glad that you like them. Okay, so yes, those will be the ones I will put up a uh, – I'll put up a um, a poll on the Instagram page. And Can we then do one on Facebook also... too? I'm sorry? Can we do a poll on Facebook too? Sure. Okay. So I'll put up a poll on Instagram, on Facebook, and you can also email us and then we'll tabulate the votes and you'll have to tune in next time to see which one we end up picking. How exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Just a quick shout out to all of you who either recommended and or voted for Ready or Not. Uh, Also, thank you to those of us for to those of us. Thank you to Thank, us. <laughs> big thanks to us. Thank you to all of you who suggested different ideas for uh, additional content. So we're brainstorming about that and trying to think of ways to provide y'all uh, better podcast episodes and also some some fun content in between our classic every other week podcast. Love it. Uh, Okay, well, thanks, guys, so much for spending time with us. Before we let you go, I just want to remind you all to please, if you get a chance, uh, like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. It just allows us to build our club members, which allows us to do more fun and creative things with our time together. Yes, the more more club members we get, the um, more content we can have because we're really hoping that someday soon we can start a Patreon and um, we can have – out, we can outsource our editing so that that will save us so much time and we'll be able to do a lot more content, spend yeah. a lot more time um, creating fun content with you yeah, guys. 
I am about to be a doctor. Kate is an established vet. So we're our time at we're busy, busy, but we really love doing this with y'all. And if we're ultimately able to do editing, have outsource our editing at some point, we can give you the weekly podcast that we would ideally like to do. That you deserve. <laughs> that you deserve. <laughs> okay, guys, I have to uh, go run to work in the ED, and I'm sure Kate uh, needs to get some stuff done too. But thank I have you to guys go so much for snacks. hanging with us. All right. Yeah, well, Kate's got to go eat some snacks. <laughs> and I have equally important issues to tend to. So <laughs> we will see you guys next week for a Stephen King movie if you're choosing. Please go um, pick one on our polls. I'm super excited to see what it is. Um, if you have any thoughts uh, or if you have any suggestions, if you um, want to talk about the movie that we talked about today, email us. Our email address is nightlighthorrormovieclub at gmail.com. And uh, I guess we'll see you guys next time for our Stephen King surprise. Sounds great. Uh, Stay spoopy, guys. Stay spoopy. Bye. Who wants to play a game? It's time for hide and seek. Run, run, run. Time to run and hide. Run, run, run. And now I'm going to find. You scurry off into the darkness. Hurry, I'm behind you. 